This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, season eight, episode 30. I'm John DiCarlo, joined today by Kyle Gauss and Javon Edmonds, Caden Steele, is uh in parts unknown we don't know where he is hopefully have we legitimately not heard from him we've legitimately not heard from Caden Steele. so come on come on Caden. hopefully he's hopefully he's okay uh what's up guys nada it's uh it's a good and almost weekend my family is finally starting to get healthy again hopefully so grinding through They're off the injured list not yet Jordan's like day five of the 10 day DL now, or IL now. They don't call it DL anymore. You're saying the disabled list can get you canceled. Yeah, that's why I said DL. I didn't say what the D stood for. Uh, and IL. The Raptors almost got canceled the other day for their uh, Women's Appreciation Month video. Scotty Barnes said something about like, I think it was Scotty Barnes who said something about like women are great because like they birth everybody and apparently. Like a sect of the you know women community, I'm not telling them how to feel. Um, you know, had the approach of, well, that's not all we're good for. So the Raptors apologized for the video. I don't know if Scotty Barnes meant it that way, but you know, you got to listen <laughs> to the people who feel offended. Mm-hmm. It's the well, first time Scotty Barnes has been referenced on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> as far as I know. I we'll we'll go we'll go back and uh, that's what we'll have Caden do. We'll have him go back and check every single episode <laughs> of the scoop to see if Scotty Barnes was. Caden, this is this is your punishment for yes for no showing us. Go back and listen to eight episodes, eight years. I'm sorry, eight years and thirty episodes of of the scoop to Dear find God, out. Has it been that long? Yeah, and this so is the I, second reincarnation of the scoop, I believe. Wasn't there one you did with Mudrick beforehand? Uh, no. Started, started with I thought we I started with John Terlecki. I don't think that might we, that might have been it might have been Terlecki. Yeah, so John Terlecki gave us the idea of doing the scoop. But yes, I don't, I don't believe that Scotty Barnes has been referenced before. So anyway, he said gave us the idea as if it was like some novel. Like I don't know if you guys have heard of this podcast. Wave of the future, and the future is now. Anyway, we do have a pretty packed episode for you guys. We have. Plenty of uh, spring football to talk about. Uh, first week of spring practices is in the books. We did get to talk to Stan Drayton, DJ Warner, Demeric Morris, Antoine Smith, Jordan McGee, Lance Nateray. I think that was everybody from this week. We'll have some audio for you from the always upbeat and enthusiastic Antoine Smith, but it did have some good insight for us this week. Have a, an, an interview that we're going to play in a few minutes for all of you with John Baum, who's just a delightful person to talk to. Those of you who are longtime Temple fans know that that John is a big five Hall of Famer, a Temple Hall of Famer, had a career in the ABA and the NBA, and has this great life story of getting involved with basketball late and uh, has been broadcasting, has been the, the, the analyst on Temple radio games for the last 25 years. And last night, we're recording this on Friday afternoon, last night, that Temple UCF game was John's last had a chance to talk to him before the game, just to hear about his life story, had a great conversation. We'll play that interview in a little bit. And then, of course, we'll get into 
this Temple basketball team that did beat UCF 57-55 last night. They have a chance to, I don't know, get as high as the third seed, right, in the conference tournament if they can beat Tulane at Tulane down in New Orleans on Sunday. Plenty of mailbag questions to get to. So it is a packed episode. Hopefully you guys all enjoy it. Famous number 30s, guys. Bernard Pierce. I, I like that answer, Kyle. I really do. Um, Another highly a highly recruited running back who never, I don't think, played a snap. Myron Miles? No, no, not Myron Miles. Uh, he was supposed to be the bell cow of a class that had two other running backs that ended up being better than him. TJ Simmons. TJ Simmons. Mm. Yeah. Javon, what do you have? And his father. And his father. And his brother at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernard King. Oh, who else wore 30? Um, it's not that many that just come straight to your mind for number 30. Yeah. Now that I think about um, it. Um, this website, well, I guess when he was, no, that's not true. He wore 34, didn't he? This website is bullcrap. We always all go to the same website and you get ready to say a name. And you're like, that, that doesn't feel right. Nolan Ryan, I think 34. He wore 30 later on in his career, right? But yeah, 34 is what he was really known for. Griffey wore 30 with the Reds. Oh, no, Ryan, Nolan Ryan wore 30 early in his career. Oh. 34 later in his career. Um, 30, 30 with Eagle, the Angels. Former Eagles All-Pro kick returner. Oh, the, I, think, I, think the, um, I think the all-time leader in punt returns. So. Uh, come on, jeez. Uh, Brian Mitchell. Yep. Uh, if you want to count. Uh, all the guys who shared a number 32, 33, and 34 in the 90s NBA All-Star games that had to wear number 30, uh, you know, we can count them. I think Scottie Pippen had to wear 30 one year. <laughs> he did? Um, uh, local star who is on my shit list for his NFL fan allegiance, uh, basketball player. Basketball player for his NFL fan allegiance. Very uh, relevant high school teammates. He's a he's an NBA player. We're not high school teammates, but same um, same high school. Not anymore. Rasheed Wallace wore thirty wins with the Trailblazers. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. She aggressively recruited by late great John Cheney. Did not Chiefs end up fan with... for some reason. That's right. Yeah, did not end up at Temple, and John Cheney was. Pursuing him did and eventually end up with Mark Jackson. Not a bad, not a bad consolation prize as a, as a transfer. Uh, no disrespect okay. to Mark Jackson. No, I mean Mark Jackson was all. <laughs> well, Rasheed player, Wallace but... is a, a step above. Yeah. Um, said Brian Mitchell, Dave Maggot from the Giants. Well, he was a pain in the butt. Anyway. Yeah. That's the solid, list. solid list of 30s. Well, like I said, just a uh, shout out, uh, Carolina Sam Cliff Floyd, former Mets left fielder. Cliff Floyd, wow, his name he was on the Marlins for a minute. Yes, he was. Um, like I said at the outset of the podcast, John Baum had the chance to talk to him before last night's game, and you'll you'll hear me say this to John. I think one of the one of the cool things about him is that. If you've ever gotten the chance to talk to him, and I really don't want this to sound trite and cliche, but he's just such a like a he's just such a gentleman. He's just a sweetheart of a guy. 
and he's always meticulously prepared, dressed well. I, I told him yesterday, I said, I'm going to miss like just seeing you at games. Like he would literally go into the bathroom, make sure he looked good. His hair was, was in place and he had his notes and everything. and was just so sweet to everybody he talked to. But the thing about John is he's led this really interesting life of all these different moments where his life could have gone in one direction or another, had some, you know, major league baseball interest, did not play high school basketball. It, if it wasn't for a conversation with one of his classmates at Pierce College, which is a business school where they encouraged him like, hey, you want to try playing basketball? And if that conversation didn't happen, who knows if he ever would have actually joined the team there, been discovered by Temple. Uh, just a lot of really cool stuff here. And it's it's John's sort of second retirement, so to speak. So again, had a great time sitting down, having the chance to talk to him about so many different topics about his life. So we'll play this uh, interview for you here. John, we're, we're sitting here courtside at the Leah Kors Center about two and a half hours before Temple's taking on US, uh, UCF tonight, an important conference game. And it's going to be your last game after 25 years as the team's radio caller analyst. You have so much tied to this place. You played here. You've worked here. What's going through your mind right now before, before your last game? Well, I was trying to do like John Cheney told me a long time ago, right off into the sunset, John. And uh, as you see, as I walked in, Chris Clark said, are you keeping secrets? Yeah. You're keeping secrets? <laughs> You're not telling us? So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a low-key guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah, and, and you know, I appreciate all the excitement, but, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm low-key. Yeah. But it is exciting, yeah. I will say, because I got a lot of calls, a lot of stuff, people all over the, all over the country. So, um, yeah, it's a special moment. Obviously, you've, you've called so many games in these 25 years, and that doesn't even cover your playing career, and we'll get to that. What are some of the memories that, that, that stick out to you? I mean, you've called a lot of memorable games. If you had to sit here right now, what are some of the ones that come back, some of the memories that come back to you? Well, I think probably the one the Cincinnati Temple game, when Temple was number, when Cincinnati was number one at Cincinnati, Pepe couldn't play. Yeah. And he tried to convince Coach Cheney that he could play. Mm-hmm. So he was running up and down the side. Before the game, he ran up and down and said, look, Coach, I can play. Coach said, no, you're not going to play. So then, make a long story short, he finally let him play. Mm-hmm. And Temple upset Cincinnati with a major upset at Cincinnati. So that was exciting. And then some, the other games were, I would say, the, the, um, the Elite Eight games. You know, playing, and playing, having a chance to go to the Final Four if you win that game really special and I think the one that brings to mind to me is the Miss, the Michigan State game. Yeah. Izzo. Uh, and, and I've never seen a coach rooting for the other coach to win as Izzo did yeah. for, for Coach Chain to go to the Final yeah. Four. Yeah. John, one of the things that strikes me about you is that anybody who knows you, you're like impeccably dressed, impeccably prepared, you're the kindest human being that anybody could ever hope to know. You've had an NBA career, you're a big five Hall of Famer, you're a Temple Hall of Famer, and you're always just so precise and put together. But like, what strikes me about you is like your life hasn't always gone that way. It's always had like these interesting moments and these twists and turns, and you have this really, really cool story that some people are familiar with, but maybe like the younger generation of fans aren't familiar with. And I kind of want to start at the beginning there. You grew up in West Philly, right? North Philly. Oh, North Philly, North Philly. And But you didn't play basketball growing up. You were more of a baseball player and a soccer player. Take me back to like oh, your... you fr- know what, John? Hey. You're right. I went to West Philly. Right, right. But I didn't grow up in West Philly. I grew up in North Philly, but I went to West Philadelphia High School. That's where you, you, you okay. got the West Philly. Where in North Philly did you grow up? Right around the corner from Simon Grant's High School. Okay. 19th okay. and Honey Park Avenue. Wow. So... 
did you play, I mean, was basketball, like, was it always baseball for you growing up, or did you dabble with basketball, but just not play it seriously? Take us through that. What, what are your early earliest memories of the game? My hope was to become a professional baseball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked at it. I liked basketball. It was like a recreation. You know, you see guys going to the boys club playing, but baseball was my interest. I wanted to be a professional baseball player, and I went, at all costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was willing to pay my way to go down at that time. They had what they called the Grapefruit League. Yeah. You can go down and maybe show what you could do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, of course, as a young kid, I didn't have that kind of money to go to Florida, but mm-hmm. that was my passion. Yeah. And, and I had a chance to play against Reggie Jackson. We played in the same, same uh, Pendel League. Yeah. So I played against some good players. Yeah, with him being around here from Cheltenham. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And then you go on to Pierce, and I think I had read, or maybe you told me that your, your parents were like, you got to get like an education in business. You go to Pierce, and then the guys there kind of just say, hey, you should be on the basketball team. What are your re- memories of that conversation? Well, Did that, they just see you playing, and like you're like, hey, you're no, pretty they, good. They didn't see me playing. I was just walking down the hall. Two of the best players on the Pierce team saw me. And being a six-five, six-six, they said, "Hey, hey!" And they didn't know me. He said, "You, you play basketball?" I said, "Well, I play a little bit." He said, "Do you think you want to try it out for our basketball team?" I said, "Well, I've never played organized before." So they said, "Well, look, meet us at so and so place at a certain certain time, and we'll see what you look like." That's how I started my Pierce basketball, my first organized yeah. level of basketball. It's insane because life is about all these little moments that either happen or don't happen. And you think, I'm sure this is the millionth time you thought of this, that conversation changed your life, right? It did. It did. It certainly did. Because if I didn't do basketball in a way, now keep in mind, I was still thinking about I was going to play professional baseball. Right, right. So um, if it wasn't that, then I would have said, well, you know, that's fine. And they said, well, you stink. You can't play basketball. <laughs> it's fine. Then the summertime comes, I'm going to play baseball. Mm-hmm. And did you know you were good right away when you were playing there? No. No, no, I was playing and I could see the guys looking around at each other and saying, did you see what he just did? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so uh, I was raw, mm-hmm. but they could see that this raw kid has some talent. Yeah. Now tell us the story about, again, some people have heard about this, about how you got discovered by Temple and Harry Litway. Well, we played at Pierce because it wasn't a recognized school. Uh, we played junior college teams. We played freshman teams. It was a business school. Not a credit college, so uh, we played. Um, we played. Then we played Penn freshman. We played a cup, but then we played um, textile at the time. It was textile. Now I guess it's Philadelphia, and um, so see, we played them. And okay, we got a freshman game. Um, okay, I'll be on the court, and then um, Skippy Wilson was refereeing the game. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, he did everything at Temple. Right? Yeah, yeah, he did everything. Referee in the game, and then I was playing. And, and then there, whenever there was a timeout, not even my timeout, John. Whenever the team was shooting three throws, and I'm on the edge, you know, waiting. He, he, he talked to me because the referee, the referee, standing right behind the foul line, mm-hmm. right behind the basket. He said, uh, "Are you interested in coming to playing basketball beyond here?" He, every time we stopped, he had questions for me. So to make a long story short, he said, uh, "When the game was over." I think we won the game and went in the locker room. And as I go in the locker room, getting ready to take, go in the shocker, in the, get in the shower, yeah. um, one of the managers from Pierce said, John, uh, the coach from Textile wants to talk to you as soon as you come out the shower. Mm-hmm. I said, good, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I go in the shower, and there's Skippy Wilson <laughs> following me in the shower. 
And that, so Skip repped the game and was recruiting you to Temple at the same yes, time. Yes. Yep. That's great. And he must have had a feeling because he knew that I better get this guy quickly in the shower because he knew that the coach from Textile had already let it be known that he wanted to talk to me. Wow, that's, so that's, I, when I walked out the shower, walked out the, the, the locker room, the, tech, the guy from Textile was waiting there, and I said, he said, are you ready? I said, well, you know, I have a meeting with Coach Litwack at Broad Street. So the guy said, well, just forget about it. That's amazing. Yeah. I, that that I did not know. Um, and even right before you came to Temple, did I did I read you had a chance to go to the Pirates organization? There was like another baseball opportunity yes. coming your way, and yes. another moment in your life where you had like a couple of incredible options. That's yeah. amazing to me. Well, I said I was a pretty good baseball player. I played center field. Mm-hmm. I played in the American Legion, and then I went to the Pendell, which is they sort of like a semi-pro team. My yeah. first year, my first year there, I played. I made the All-Star team. Mm-hmm. So that told me that you know, and I'm playing against older guys. So you yeah. know, I can probably play. So. So then I got a notice. Then that summer, the summer of 65, mm-hmm. I guess it was summer of 65, uh, I got some interest from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, you know, we'd like to maybe have you come to camp or whatever it was, minor league. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I'm asking me a decision between going to college or going to play baseball. Now, mm-hmm. baseball is my love, but I think my parents said, listen, we already told you that education is important. Mm-hmm. You're going You're going to play basketball. You're going to go to Temple. And that's what sold it for you? Yes. Was it a tough decision? Were you really kind of torn on it? Or were you leaning towards Temple? Or were you indecisive and your parents made the decision for you? Well, well, John's interesting. A lot of people don't know this because I did play basketball. Um, my parents were determined that I was going to go someplace. Mm-hmm. But before I got the offer at Temple, I had already gotten an offer from Gannon College okay. in basketball. Yeah. And, uh, and they were very interested in me coming up there. So, and then, then, then I met with Litwack, so compared to two. You want to play in the Big Five, or you want to go up to Cole Erie, Pennsylvania, and yeah, play it yeah. again in college. Yeah. Decision was pretty easy. Yeah. And for someone who never got to meet the guy, never got to see him patrol the sidelines, and so many of the, there are older people who listen to our podcast, but there's some younger people who listen to our Al Scoop podcast that never got to meet Harry Litwack or see him. Just tell us about what he was and, and who he was and what made him such a legend. Well, for the younger people, they know John Cheney. Mm-hmm. If they think of John Cheney, you think of a more mild-mannered John Cheney and Harry Litwack. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them knowledgeable, both in the Hall of Fame, the National Nation of Hall of Fame. So that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Cheney was like a maniac on the mm-hmm. sidelines. Yeah. Harry Litwack never stood up. Mm-hmm. So just sat there, right? Just yeah. sat there because he, he was just very calm and cool. Very, but but in terms of knowing basketball, they were both geniuses. How did he know? Would, could he like, if you knew you did something wrong, was it just like a look he would give you, or did you just was it more that kind of body language? Well, that's exactly right. I say he never stood. He did, he did stand up. If you made a mistake, he would stand up and cross his arms. This is this is every little way, and he would look at you. You knew that you were in trouble, mm-hmm. so you didn't make that same. Business. He didn't have to call a timeout to talk about yeah. it. You knew what he was standing up for. How long? And again, you couldn't play as a freshman, right? That's correct. Fre- then, freshman could not play. They, What's that time like? Is it just sitting, watching, learning? Well, it's interesting because at that time you couldn't play varsity, but you could play freshman basketball yeah. at one year. Mm-hmm. And then I started, and I think my first week or a couple of weeks, I, I got a knee injury. Yeah. So I never played a freshman game mm-hmm. because of the knee injury. Mm-hmm. 
So I just had to re re recoup the whole the whole time and watch my guys, you know, the freshman team, play basketball under Skippy Wilson. And what's it like when that happens to you then? I mean, you have doctors, but there's the, the medical advances aren't there. Were you ever nervous? Was it serious or was it like, I, I'll be okay? It was a knee injury, and at that time, I, I, I knew I would be okay. I knew it would take some time. It wasn't something that you know, I knew this is it. This might be a career ending, mm -hmm. but it takes some time. Mm -hmm. And again, keep in mind, this is a mild-mannered guy who didn't yeah. care a whole lot about basketball. Mm -hmm. So he'd say, oh, I can do that. I can sit here. I can let me catch up on my schoolwork yeah. and stuff like that. So it wasn't as if I was chopping at the bit to get onto the court. Yeah. Now, how long was it before, you know, again, from there your career takes off? But how far into your sophomore season was it before you knew, like, oh, wow, I could be not just good, but really good. Yeah, well, when I, when I, when we started as playing against, as a, as a varsity player, my first sophomore year, um, went to practice, worked out a little bit, playing with some of the guys, and then I realized, you know, I'm just as good as, oh, well, I'm not as good, but Tim Morgan, who was a star, Jimmy Williams was a star, Clarence Brookings, I said, you know, I think I can hang with those guys. Yeah. That's when I started to realize that I could play. And then as, I, then as I began you know, working out and working team, then I was determined, hey, I'm going to play somewhere mm -hmm. at Temple. Yeah. I wasn't going to be sitting on the bench because I knew I had the skills. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you, you've talked about the, the 69 NIT championship team so many times. And again, maybe people don't know this, but back then, only 25 teams could make the NCAA tournament. And then you guys, didn't you have to wait like a week before you found out that you were getting oh, into the NIT? No. There's no selection show. There's no internet. What was that like? That was disaster. Uh -huh. Talking about nervous. Didn't know we were going to go. They only took 16 teams down to the very last team chosen, mm -hmm. and that was Temple. And, what, and were we excited? We just dumped them down. Now, now Harry Litwack said, well, he said, well, we're going to still practice mm -hmm. before we, and we'll see if we don't make it, then that's it. Mm -hmm. But we're going to still practice, he and, and, he and, um, and, and Casey. Mm -hmm. And what did that, what were, I mean, you could probably recount a million memories from that team the run that you guys made in the garden. Same thing, I always think of like John Chaney used to say, I look back and I see faces. Faces come back to me, faces, memories. What memories come back from that time? I'm sure there are a ton of them. Well, you know, I think Casey made us believe, of course, Harry Litwack, but Casey pretty much ran practice. He made us believe that we could win. Now, he's probably telling us that in the back of his mind, he was thinking, we're not going to beat Florida, one of the national top 25 teams in the nation. And that was our first draw yeah. with a consensus All-American and Neil Walk. Yeah. But he said, well, yeah, I think we can do this. We can do this. So, And, and we bought it. Mm -hmm. And we went out there and worked hard and practiced. Uh, Litwack was a genius. Mm -hmm. and, and they just diagrammed what we need to do. We played the zone to perfection. And that was, and we and we upset Florida. And, and, and really, and I hate to, I don't, I'm not trying to knock today's NIT, but that's even a more highly, really, really, really good NIT field back then. That's more selective and more competitive. Oh no question, John. There were top teams that had a chance to go to the NCAA. At that time, you could pick the NCAA, you could pick the NIT. There were some top teams that said, no, we're not going to go to the NCAA. We're going to go to the NIT mm -hmm. because the NIT was really ahead of. It's only 16 teams. Yeah. You played all the games in the garden. Garden, mm -hmm. Madison Square Garden, the mecca of basketball. How sweet is that? Yeah. Did you ever, during that time, did you ever think to yourself, like, I I can't believe, and it, still, the NBA is still ahead of you at this point. You got to play as a pro, but like, did you ever kind of look around the garden and say, like, I didn't know any of this was going to happen for me. Did you have a lot of those moments in your life, or do you not allow yourself to think about that until after it's all said and well, done? Well, I never really allowed myself to think about it, but one year, I think, the beginning of my, at the end of my junior year, and beginning of my senior year, at the end of the junior year, Casey came over to me and said, you know, John, 
you might have a chance to play at the next level. So I said, oh, no, you're, you're kidding. No, because I never thought about it. He said, John, you have a chance. If you do certain things, you have a chance. So, so then that was in that conversation. So we're playing at the Plester. We played somebody, um, whoever it was, at the end of the game, and I played well. And then uh, the media came over and said, John, you know, you're playing really well. Do you ever think about the NBA? So I said, yeah, I thought I had a chance to make an NBA. <laughs> and then Casey caught, caught me in practice and said, now, John, I read that story. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. It was like as of like a few days ago, you weren't. Yeah, that's right, that's right. How much did that mean to you, though, where you're like, oh, my goodness, like somebody, how much of it is just somebody believing in you every step of the way? Well, I think the big thing was I believed in myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was playing. I really felt when I started the varsity season that I was going to play. Didn't think I was going to start, to be honest with you, but I knew I was going to be playing someplace. I was going to, and, and then it, things just came together, and I never, I never, I started every game from my sophomore year to my senior year. And, and I think it was just the confidence that I had in myself, John. I had a lot of confidence, and I think that was from baseball. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I knew I was a good baseball. I'm, I'm on the field with Reggie Jackson, yeah. you know, Mr. October. Mm-hmm. I can play, so I knew I could play the sport, yeah. baseball. Yeah. But as, athletically, I knew I could play basketball as well by that time. Mm-hmm. So you get drafted both into the NBA and a first-round pick in the ABA. Then you had to serve in the National Guard first, yeah, right? Yeah. Before you even graduated from Temple? No, I graduated. You graduated yeah, from was, Temple and yeah, then National yeah. Guard. Well, let me tell you this, John, if you have time. Yeah, This oh, is during my end of my junior year. Um, I was actually drafted into my junior year by the Los Angeles Lakers, mm-hmm. 15th round, mm-hmm. which is they had 16 at that time. Yeah, yeah. So they just threw away a draft. They said, it's John Baum. He's a... Um, he, he went to Pierce, but maybe we can say he's eligible to play if he comes out after his junior year. Okay. So they threw out, they threw out the pick and drafted me. I had no idea. Wow. Al Schreier, the, the publicity manager at Temple, wow. kept that away from me. Mr. Schreier Mr. didn't Schreier tell you? didn't tell me. I went into my, my senior year, and then someone said, hey, John, you know, you were drafted by the Lakers. Why didn't you go? I had no clue. Maybe that's the secret he was keeping in his briefcase. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. A, that's a true story. That's amazing. I had no clue. And then, and then, of course, when I played well, the, uh, the ABA, I was drafted number one mm-hmm. for the LA team. Mm-hmm. Bill Sharman was the coach of that team. For the older guys, they remember Bill Sharman, the great player from the Boston Celtics. And then I was drafted in the second round, which was just, it's interesting. I tell people, yeah, I was drafted in the second round by the Chicago Bulls, mm-hmm. but I was the 22nd player chosen in the draft. Yeah. Now you have 31 guys yep. and their first round picks. Yeah. So, 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 but I think, but I was the 22nd player, player chosen. And um, a lot of teams express interest. You know, you go through and you go through. But I said, I'm not going to Chicago. It's cold. And I'm not even sure if they even expressed interest. Yeah. And then when the draft came out, I was playing in an all-star game in Hawaii mm-hmm. with some of the best college players around. And then, then we got the notice, okay, the NBA made their draft, so we're in Hawaii. Here are the players that they picked. And then I said, John Baum, you're going to Chicago in the second round. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's, that's how I said, Chicago, of all the teams that expressed interest, how did I end up a cold climate? So now the Lakers, so now, okay, now I got to not the Lakers, but the LA Stars, the ABA. So now you said, which one to go? A, you know, ABA, NBA. So then it really came down to talking to my managers, my, my accountant, not accountant, but my attorney, who's going to make you the best offer? Yeah. And that's what it came down to. And then 
uh, talked to the lake. They, they, they went out. They went actually went to LA to talk to the spar, the stars. I didn't think I expected they off to be twice as much as the NBA because they were looking for players. Right. And it wasn't. It was, it was a good offer, but it wasn't that big number that I was going to say I'll take it. Yeah. So I, I just said, went back to Chicago and negotiated with Chicago and made and signed a three-year contract. Who's the best guy you ever played against in the league? And you play both in the NBA and the well, ABA. The best, period, Julius Irving. Yeah. Period. No question. Uh, NBA, there were a lot of great guys. I thought John Havlicek. John Havlicek was the guy who I tried to pattern my game after from Boston. We both, we both played the same forward spot. John had, but I, you know, there were so many great players in the NBA and the ABA. But what miss, people miss, what Philadelphia saw Julius Irving after about his what, sixth or seventh year of playing basketball. They, they should have saw him in his prime because he was unbelievable. They thought he was great in Philadelphia. Boy, he was unstoppable in the ABA. And then you, you retired at what, 28? Yeah, that's exactly right. And then this, was it the Spurs that tried to get you to come out of no. retirement? And then, you, and then you thought about it and said no thanks? You're absolutely right. I'm not sure how you knew about that story. But yeah, I, I retired early, 28. And in my last year with the Pacers, you know, in the in the season, exit in interviews, and I said, guys, I'm not coming back. So don't need don't need to send me any literature or anything. I'm I'm done. And uh, so then I, I wanted to come back. My background was accounting. I had a degree from accounting. So I went into the banking business. And uh, I was working at Gerard Bank in commercial lending. And I went out to lunch, came back, and then I came back. Everybody's looking at me like, John, John, John. I said, what are we talking about? It's a message for you. So I said, okay, all right, I'll get to it. So he said, you might want to take a look at it right now. And I looked at it. It was the San Antonio Spurs, the general manager for them saying, we want to call you. We want to talk to you. Can you believe that? That's incredible. It is. That's such a, like your life is, is just comprised of all these these great stories. It's, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. And then tell us how like you, you come back to Temple and then you start working in the development office. And then tell us also about how you got into into the how how did things come together to become the the radio analyst? It's all tributes to Dan Baker. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, Dan decided I was working at Temple. Dan was the executive director of the Big Five. He also controlled the media. He had his own station. So he looked and he said, there were no, I'm just very honest, there were no black people broadcasting in basketball at that time. Uh, so Dan said, Dan decided, you know, we need to have a man of color doing our games. Representation is important. Yeah, and he said, and who's better than John Baum? Yeah, that's awesome. That's how I got started. Yeah. Dan Baker's the reason why I had success that's in this great. field. And today, he's one of my best friends. That's awesome. What, did, what, what was it like at first when you're, because I know, again, like, I, I will miss seeing you here, like, preparing your notes, even just seeing you in the bathroom, you always make sure you're looking good, and like, and, but you're always prepared, but like, what is it like, do you remember calling your first game? You remember oh, I do, I do. Uh, Dan was, it was a base, it was, it was a TV game. Okay. Channel 17, for those who remember, the game's on Channel 17. Villanova played Notre Dame. Oh, okay. Right. And talking about nervous. My first game, never had a chance to practice or anything, and we're playing, Nova's playing Notre Dame. I was awful. To be honest with you, John, I was awful. I was awful. I stuttered, this and that. It was awful. I couldn't wait till it was over. 
So, so Dan, the nice gentleman, he said, don't worry, John, you'll get better. <laughs> and I did. And then how did it come together here at Temple once you started getting on the radio here? Well, well then, you know, I, I, I worked, I did TV work. I did TV work with, with Dan for that period of time until the big five schools decided that why are we having John Baum, a Temple guy, doing a Temple, doing a St. Joe pin game? Yeah. So they said, well, we got to pick our own people. Dan told me, he said, John, they, they, they don't want you doing their games. Mm -hmm. So then I got, got some interest from the New Jersey Network uh, doing their games. I did, so I covered Princeton and Rutgers because mm -hmm. I got an offer there to go. So I did that. And then I, then my kids, I got married and my, my kids were born. And, and then I decided I'm, I'm not, I need to spend more time with my kids. Yeah. So I didn't do any. So I, my last TV game was probably in about 1980s, early 80s. And that was it. And I, and I didn't, didn't need a resume after I wanted to get back into it. So then working at Temple uh, in 1997, they decided that they were going to build this place at Lear Core yeah. Center, mm -hmm. and they wanted to change the broadcasting team. Mm -hmm. uh, Don Henderson was doing the games with yeah. Sunny Hill. Yeah. So they decided that they wanted me to replace the great Sunny Hill. What was that like? Because they wanted to have a Temple alum doing that yeah. game. And it was unbelievable because yeah. Sunny Hill's the great Sunny Hill. Yeah. And then, but Sonny decided that he was going to do more with the 76ers, yep. so he was willing to walk away from the Temple job. Yeah. And that's how I got started. And then, and then the, 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 the people at the Temple, the development office that I was working for, they said, you know, John, the vice president said, you know, we agree to you doing this because you can probably do work out with the development side when you travel on the road. You're on the road, yeah. So they had me twice. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if I was even paid to do the game, the first games. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm going to ask you the, the obvious question, and it's not an easy question to answer. What made John Cheney so special? Again, there are a million things to you. What made him so special? He was a man of the people, uh, down earth, a genius uh, with everybody. He was the hit of his time in basketball. You, know, you see games today, 2023, you see guys doing stuff, pulling guys off the foul line, going the other end when, when, so they don't commit a foul. Yeah. John Cheney was doing that in 1980. Yeah. You know? So, and other things. So, so many little things. So, he was a hit of his time. He's just a genius. There's no question about it. I was very fortunate, John, to have him adopt me. Yeah. So that's basically what he did. Yeah. I was his like his godson. Mm -hmm. He beat me up all the time. Oh yeah. But I learned beat a lot. Up, yeah, yeah. beat everybody up. But I learned a lot from John Cheney. I gotta ask you this because we had some fun with this. I mean, I, years ago we did like this all-time Temple basketball draft, and my old assistant editor Mike Mudrick drafted you on his team. We did this again this past summer with a bigger Al Scoop staff. And you were you were picked by Sam Cohen, one of my former writers who's now working for the Baltimore Sun. Yeah. I so I'm gonna read. His roster, which you are on, I'm going to read my roster, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you in a quick spur of the moment here who's going to win. On your team, you've got Deontay Christmas, we got Deontay Christmas, John Baum, Quincy Wadley, Nate Blackwell, Juan Fernandez, Jason Ivey, who just gave you a hug before we came up here, Josh Brown, Ike Bor Savage, Jeremiah Williams, who's now at Iowa State, uh, Joe Cromer, Devin Coleman, Sergio Omos, and Hysir Miller, who's currently on the team, and Don Casey's your coach. On my team, it's Aaron McKee, David Hawkins, recent Big Five Hall of Fame inductee, Kevin Lyde, Mike Vrieswick, Rashid Brokenborough, Will Cummings, Dustin Salisbury, Alton McCullough, Charlie Rain, Johnny Miller, Vic Carstarf, and Greg Jefferson, 
just for what he did in the Penn State game, I thought he'd be a fun pick. And Ernest Pollard and my coach is Jim Maloney. Okay. You got a good squad. I'd be surprised if you picked against your team. But tell me what you, what you think there. Both teams are excellent. We're going to win that game. Yeah. One, because I'm controlling the glass. Yeah. I'm getting all the rebounds to begin. Because <laughs> all those other guys you point out, they want to shoot. I know. That was my – so when we, we had a lot of fun with this. And big men were at a premium. And I thought I couldn't get Mark Jackson. I thought, okay, I've got Kevin Lyde, but all everyone in the drafts like you don't have enough size. So I paid for it there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's a good team, both of them. Yeah. Uh, but like I mean that, I would have yeah. got all the rebounds because they're gonna be missing shots. Yeah. And I was willing to do the dirty work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. John, last question for you. Hey, we were talking about this a little bit last night. We were setting this up. You're not too far away. You're in Wimmore, but what's what's next after this? I know you said I'm not gonna be sitting on a rock and chair. You staying busy? What what do you do in your spare time when you're not calling basketball games? What's what's next well, for you? You're I, still in great shape. You look yeah. good. You, you well, sound good. I have fitness center in my home. I set up in the basement of my townhouse, and I work out four days. I mean, not four, but six to seven days out of the week. I can just get into my time schedule. It's my, it's at my fitness center. Yeah. I go down there sometime at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. After this game tonight, mm-hmm. since I didn't get the chance to work out today, I'm going to go back home and work out around 11 yeah. o'clock. Good for you. Yeah. So that's what I do. Uh, my hobbies, I have a hobby of, of cooking. I'm a chef now. What's your favorite thing to make? Um, well, spaghetti. Okay. Italian. Yeah. Pasta. I like to put I, sh- I like that, to put yeah. shrimp in it. Yeah. Uh, I don't use um, turkey. I use turkey burger. I don't use beef. Okay. That's healthier. Okay. Yeah. Ziti. Yeah. I make the best ziti. Chicken ziti. I'll try it. You know. So grew up on Italian. Yeah. Right? So yeah. So that's a hobby of mine. Yeah. And I and I do that. Another hobby that I have, which is surprising, I'm a gardener. That's good. I get out there. I'm waiting for the weather to change so I can go out there and, and plant some stuff. And yeah. Get my hands dirty. Yeah. So I do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's never a dull moment, plus a bunch of other things that I do. Um, um, there are people, because, and I love it, that want me to do things. So they're always calling, John, can you do this? Can you do that? And if I have the time, I'll say yes. Mm-hmm. But the exciting thing about it, when you're retired, yeah. you can say no. Yeah. Actually, one last question for you. What is this? This Temple team has been so hard to figure out. Up and down. They beat Houston. They've got good wins. They've got bad losses. Um, by the time people listen to this, uh, the, this UCF game will be over. But you got UCF, Tulane, the next week's conference tournament. What do these guys have to do to just to, to have a serious chance to win the conference tournament next week? Well, I always mention to the keys to the ball game, and here are the keys to this game today. Number one, reduce your turnovers. Yep. Number two, communicate on both ends of the court. Number three, control the glass yep. on both ends of the court. Yep. It's not a whole lot to ask for. It's control your turnovers. Where did they get that from? John Chaney. Chaney yeah. Right? Communicate on both ends. I got this just from playing the game of basketball. Yeah. And then and then on the other end, just control the glass. You know, teams that control the glass usually win games. Yeah. Here's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. University of Houston. Yeah. They don't have a whole lot of talent that they had in some years, mm-hmm. but they control the glass. Yeah. yeah. And that's why they're the number one team in the nation. Yeah, absolutely. John, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank appreciate you. Best of luck to you. We've thank all been lucky to know you and uh, looking forward to seeing you around at the game. So hopefully you'll still come back. Yep. Thank you, John. Thank yeah, you, it's John. been a appreciate pleasure it. to know you. I've known you for a long time. Yes. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's gonna, a big, big thank you to, to John. And uh, like I told him, I'll miss seeing him around the building. I'm sure... Sure, we'll see him around. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was fun also to talk to him about our Al Scoop fantasy draft. It was actually the most animated. You know, there's a lot that John could brag about in his life. 
Uh, but when I said, okay, who would win between your team, which was team Sam Cohn and my team. And he hit on what you guys all teased me for was I didn't have enough bigs. And you hear John say, well, I'm winning that game because I'm cleaning everything off the glass. That was like the most animated. Yep. He so, uh, yeah, it was not, all- not to rehash that, but yeah, real basketball, your team would have lost in the first round. It's okay. I, you I, I mean, John, I love you, but I gotta go with Kyle on this one. Yeah, I said that during the draft. You, you just okay. didn't have enough size, man. Yeah, no. it's okay. You just you just won a little bit of a popularity contest against Boston Sam. It's fine. But in the end, and you beat me because you won a popularity contest. That's not a popularity contest whatsoever. That's a that is a guerrilla warfare, an, an aggressive local social roots media campaign. political campaign. <laughs> that was not a popularity contest. I was fighting against the the tide of popularity. Every time I would put down my phone and come back to it, it's just lots of laughing emojis in our group chat. And, you know, I like legitimately was worn out by the end. I was like, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> and this to think, sleep. <laughs> think that we did not have Javon's energy in that in that draft. We would have gone to the next level if it was if Javon was in that. Draft. I believe Javon had like a very nice meal that night. He does. It was his mom's birthday. Was, yeah. And then we were yeah, like, by yeah. no means should you miss your mom's birthday for that. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. checked in. He checked in later on. Um, well, let, let's talk about what we saw from Temple last night. Again, we're recording this on Friday afternoon. So Temple holds off UCF 57 to 55. So Temple sweeps UCF, a pretty solid UCF team. This year, as of now, they at least have the first round by in next week's conference tournament. Like I said earlier at the top of the show, they could get as high as that third seed if they can beat Tulane on Sunday. And unlike this one, unlike the last game where they went to overtime and it was a little bit more of a high-scoring affair down in Orlando, this was a really sluggish, ugly offensive game. But a little bit of, of good planning and scheming on Nick Jordan's part uh, to get that putback, that late putback layup where, you know, uh, Max has in his, Max Denberg has in his game story for us from last night. It was almost like Nick was like a stunting defensive lineman. <laughs> Use core John Cooch, goes around him unopposed, puts back that second miss from Damian Dunn. They win 57-55. So this the long and winding road of a Temple basketball season is still alive. They're getting that first round by. They did some things well last night in terms of defending UCF. They did some things not so well in that they still are prone to these offensive slumps. What'd you guys think from what'd you guys think from last night? I feel like that first half just was so I don't want to say dreadful to watch, but <laughs> just but it was know, dreadful 22 to, watch. to 20 isn't. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's not twenty-two to twenty isn't the most exciting stuff, you know. Like even in the in the NBA, twenty-two to twenty is like not even a first quarter score anymore. Um, so for that to be the score after twenty minutes, oof. uh, see Temple get themselves up to a nine-point lead in the second half, crumble, surrender lead, and then eleven-point lead actually. Oh, yeah, eleven points. You're right, and then surrender the lead and go back and forth at the free throw line. Damien misses the game-winning free throw on his senior night, but Nick comes and saves him, and Dame pretty much says in the pressure, like, yeah, I knew it was out. Like, I was just so happy that Nick got that and 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 the layup. Uh, some morale boosting, I guess. You get a win on senior night. That's always good. You don't know if Damien's coming back or not. 
I would not be mad if he did come back. As far as I'm concerned, Damian Dunn has only played two and a half seasons. So there'd be no asterisks next to any statistics he gained next year. You want to get yourself into the – I think his path to the Temple Hall of Fame is cemented. He comes back next year and he gets Temple to an NCAA tournament. You score 1,000 points. You bring them back for the first time in what will be five years, I think. Um. I think that's his easy path to the Temple Athletics Hall of Fame, so I wouldn't be mad if he came back. Um, defense was pretty locked in, held UCF to under 38% shooting, 25% from deep. Uh, rebounding dominated UCF on the glass. So, uh, you know, as soon as Temple can start getting the ball in the basket consistently, they'll be fine because these six-minute scoring droughts, I tell you, you sit up there on press row and you're like, man, what else is going on tonight? I'm going to ask the obvious question, and maybe there is no obvious answer for it. There are times when they do move the ball around with purpose, and then there are times when they don't. But why is it happening at the end of games and late in the second half? Is that coaching? Is it the is it Aaron McKee being overly cautious? Is it them just locking up? Why, again, anybody with half a brain could watch the game and see that. And it happened again last night. Why? Why is it still happening? Last night, it was just a simple case. At some point, guys got to start hitting their shots. The coach has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. making your open shot. That's Mm -hmm. on you. And I will say last night, that was very much the problem. Uh, And it's not like you can scheme it down to Jamil because he's double teamed every time he touches the ball now. Like, it's been identified. He's the best post scorer in the conference. Take him out the game. So, it's coming down to Hasir Miller, Zach Hicks, Damian Dunn, Make your open shots. It's it, it it doesn't get any simpler than that. Yeah, I mean, uh, credit to them, I guess, for making shots, whether it was at the free throw line or the Nick Jordan put back for when it mattered the most. Like I, I kind of just assumed when the UCF goes up with like 20, 20, 30 seconds left, like this feels like a game that Temple loses on some last second thing. And to their credit, like Dane got to the line when he needed to. The Nick Jordan. Uh, Core John Cooch kind of like natural pick cross was a moment to hang your hat on. Like, I think they need credit for that. But uh, Javon said, like, at a certain point, like, they need to start scoring more points and they need to do this. I just don't think, I just don't see it happening this year. Like, I think the only way they win games this year is by playing in the mud and being in the 50s, being in the 60s and kind of grinding those out, those gritty games. Cause for as much of a headache he might have been or a defensive liability he might have been, the guy that had the best ability to kind of score those points in those kind of gritty games and hit a three that kind of rejuvenates you is no longer with the program. So the only way you're going to win games over the next week and a half, because we could be talking a week from today and they could be done. Um, But like the only way you're going to win games over the next week and a half is by playing, playing in the sixties, playing defense. And speaking of Caleb Faddle, Aaron was asked again last night. I, I think we've been reporting fairly solidly that, that, He's no longer with the team. He's not going to be coming back to the team. Aaron answered that question again last night. And then Kyle pointed out the duality of like, yes, there have been some ups and downs with him. Maybe it's messed with team chemistry, but you also did lose a guy that could put the ball in the basket. So not to make this the like bash KB pod, but like I kind of was curious as to like the the stats of with KB and without KB over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So you have 30 games without KB over the last year or last two years, two and a half years, 
um, in that time, obviously they score less points, right? Like they score three percent less points without KB. They offensive rebounds twenty three percent better. They have twenty three percent more steals. They have a twelve percent more blocks. Their turnovers are down eleven percent. Like all the stuff that would kind of tell you that, like from a sheer gut perspective, they play harder without KB. The stats line up with that. Like yeah, like they shoot worse. They score less points. Even their free throw percentage is down without KB because he's a good free throw shooter. But all the other stuff, that's kind of like those intangibles and kind of those effort plays are all higher without him, which makes me think that, like, they're a little bit rejuvenated and maybe they win a game in the conference tournament this year. The one issue, again, like, so your your obvious answer to the question of, like, okay, who has to, who has to step up? Zach Hicks, best pure shooter on the team. Last night in crunch time, he tries to make a move to the basket, and he still, as we've said a million times on this pod, he just can't do it. Bad turnover still can't put the ball on the floor. And we've talked about the mix of like, he can't put the ball on the floor like they did with Brendan Barry. They don't always do the best job of getting him the ball at the right spots on the floor. Is it as simple as, okay, Zach Hicks, you're up. We know that until proven otherwise, Jaleel White can't shoot. His defense is valuable. His rebounding is is very valuable. We know about the improved play of Heisier Miller. He's played better, but he's still is not as confident as he could be finishing around the rim. He's still doing that thing way too much where he drives in. If he doesn't see a lane that he likes, he stops, picks up his dribble, can't keep doing that. It sounds like an obvious question, but how almost too obvious to ask, but how big is Zach Hicks over the next couple of days, starting with Sunday where they have to, a a two lane team that we've talked about before, they don't really care too much about defense, but they can really score the ball. Top scoring team in the league. Jalen Forbes is really good. Uh, Jalen Cook's really good. They're second and third leading scorers in the league. We know they can score. If Temple tries to keep up with them on the road, it's probably not going to go well. They have to defend them well. But like, how do they get Zach Hicks? I mean, is is he does does he have to be the guy that that gives you an extra five or six points a game? Now, I, ideally, you'd like to say it's got to be a collective effort. But is this now a, a situation where Zach Hicks has to be that much better? Easily, um, he's supposed to be the sharpshooter of the team. He's a sharpshooter. I'm sick of hearing the streaky shooter excuse. Like, no, if you're labeled as a sharpshooter and all you want to do is shoot jump shots, then you need to be hitting that thing at a 36% clip or higher. And in the case of a Zach Hicks, who's afraid of a layup, you need to be shooting that thing a lot more efficiently, especially since bad was gone and that was your tough shot maker. Um, You're a sophomore now. Freshman jitters are out the way. You don't get that excuse. Zach, Zach Hicks is probably after Damian Dunn, the most important scorer on this team now. So these shots have to start falling. He's going to take a high amount, then he needs to make a high amount. Mm-hmm. What was the threshold you said? 36% at the least you, from three. You know he's like a 35.5% shooter, right? So we're oh, arguing over half a percent. No, 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 no. I, you didn't listen to the second part. I said before, a guy like him who doesn't even attempt layups, that needs to go up to at least 40% now. But I think that, and, I, and, and that's just in my taste. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I, I like don't think the, I'm not sure the, the math backs that up, but regardless, regardless. I'm just saying, I, if the only thing you're going to take is the three-point shot, like you have no two-point field goal percentages to boost your field goal percentage totally, mm-hmm. then well, I'm saying, I'm saying his three-point percentage shot is 35.5, not overall, yeah. but regardless, regardless. I think if anything, he's kind of attempted to take more twos in the last couple of games, and he just can't do it. 
like we were arguing you're shouting you're shouting at the cloud in january of like why aren't you where's the mid game mid-range game why aren't you stepping in he had a couple plays last night where he got the guy in the air went around them and then just misses the mid-range shot so um obviously that's like the next step in his game but we've been saying that for for two years i think from a strictly offensive perspective if you're going to view it like okay how do they keep up with Tulane, which in fairness, Tulane's played like garbage for the last two weeks. They're also going to be on like 36 hour uh, rest because they play ECU again tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of thinking like the only way, if you really want to be offensive, this, this team goes with Dame Dunn. The only way they can keep up with teams. If you really want to get a shootout is if Damian Dunn has one of his 28, 32, 35 point performances. Otherwise, like I said earlier, get in the mud slow down the pace like UCF like UCF has put up 100 plus points this game this year and they slugged it out down to the 50s with mm-hmm. them like they have the ability to kind of just bring teams down to their level instead of trying to play other teams games yeah uh we do have a few basketball mailbag questions to get here I get to here first one comes from our friend Pat Egan from the 97.5 the fanatic John Kincaid morning real show. quick yeah, I this is. I thought this was funny this morning. So I had a 7 a.m. dance point for the second week in a row because past Kyle hates present Kyle and commits these things. 7 a.m. 7 a.m. I had 7 a.m. last week because they just couldn't like fit me in any other time. And then when I checked out there, you just want to do the same time next week. I was like, sure, 7 a.m. Javon, have you ever been to the to... dentist at 7 a.m.? That's a super early appointment. Never. Probably like 9 a.m. It was bumping too. Kyle. It wasn't just you're, me. You're it wasn't like they just like opened up the office for me. Like it was four or five, six patients in there at the time. Wow. But anyway, uh, I'm listening to the Preston Steve show on the way in. I, I used to listen a lot. I really haven't listened that much. They're talking about famous birthdays or something. And they name like a hockey player. And they say, oh, that's a shout out for our friend, Terry Egan. And I was like, Terry Egan. And then one of the people on the show goes, this tells you how much Terry Egan uh, is a fan of Preston and Steve. Her son is on the morning show of 97.5, and she still listens to us over him. So they took, <laughs> they took a shot at Pat on, on Preston's uh, team this morning, uh, which I thought was funny. It helped not. me at like 6.40 in the morning as I'm driving to get my teeth filled. <laughs> Poor Pat. We'll wrap our arms around him with this, with this question that we're so grateful to get. So Pat's question that he texted to me was, and it's it's a part of the, the next Mailbag question here, which is a multi-part question. Pat's question is, would it benefit Temple to keep Aaron McKee and wait for his son to come? I know it's not a guarantee that he would, but is he a program-changing player? So he's talking about Jaron McKee, who is a sophomore at St. Joe's Prep. He's still got two more years of high school ball after this. So it's a two-part question. Would it benefit Temple to keep Aaron McKee and wait for his son to come? It's, it's a question that's on people's minds. I know every week it's going to be the – Aaron McKee watch. Is he coming back? Is he not coming back? Pat, first part of your question, Jaron's got two more years. If I think if they extend Aaron, which in my, when in my, my educated guess would be that they, I think they will, maybe they extend him by a few years. They give him one more year. You'd have to wait two more years to, for, for Jaron to come. If he has two more years of not making the NCAA tournament, I don't think they can wait that long. Is he a program-changing player? I, I have not yet seen him play with my own eyes. I think he has the potential to be a high-major player. He's he's a good shooter. You guys have any thoughts on this one? Uh, I mean, Jaron can develop into being the next Temple point guard. 
in, in what is it? He's got two years left. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's a coach's son, mm-hmm. which is always normally a, a good thing. He's holding his own in the PCL, uh, and the coach's son at the point guard honestly does not sound bad to me at all. Mm-hmm. Decision making, just something Temple needs. Because listen, I'm say it again: High Sear Miller can't pass out of a pick and roll to save his life, and I'm just not coming down off that mountaintop. I saw it again last night. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is. If things go the way Temple wants them to go, that means he comes in as a backup while Kafik Myers is a sophomore. Kyle, I've got my math right on that, right? I, maybe not the backup part to that, but yeah, the, the players being on the same roster, yeah. Start them together? Okay. No, sure. I'm, I'm saying I think Jerome's better than, than Kafik uh, Myers. All right, well, then, so in that case, you're – Hoping Hasir stays until he's a sink. Wait, no. Hasir would be gone. Hasir would be gone. gone. So you're getting the bridge gone by the time Jared, Jared, Jared comes in. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I I don't see why not. Not a bad question from Pat. Yeah. I, I mean. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a bad question. I seem to. Out. I seem to like kind of. You're putting like a lot of like ifs into it. Like not you. Like the question itself. Like. Is it worth it if this happens? That's so far down the line, like, like two years from now, that so many things can happen that like it'd be one thing if it was like a St. Joe's situation where they on paper have a pretty good recruiting class coming in. Does that buy Billy Lang another year? I don't I think if you start getting into the area where you're like, well, you don't want to get rid of this guy because in two years he might have somebody else coming in. You start to kind of get like a little weird. I also you know, also only name like you talked about coach's son being what you want. There's only been like a handful of situations where the coach's son succeeds playing for the dad. Like it's usually like you want the coach's son whose dad is not involved with it. Like you think of Doug McDermott, you think of Buddy Bayheim, I guess, uh, Pete Maravich, and like Alan Houston are probably the ones where it's like, okay, this worked. But then like it's not super common. Like like Antoine Davis at, at Detroit Mercy, who came off three points of Pistol uh, Pistol Pete's record that, last that, night. That, like, that doesn't count. His like they, Pistol Pete's record is not going to count. And like they didn't do anything. Like there, it's not like all of a sudden he like buoyed Detroit up until like them being like a thirty-three win team, and this is that. Like it is what it is. I seem to think like you make the decision in the silo. If you decide that Aaron McKee is where you want to go and you want to bring him back, great. And then you hope he can bring that one. His son is good enough to play at this level, and that two that, that he can get his son, and then. I just don't think you make a decision based upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, next, I don't know if you agree or disagree. No, I agree. I agree. Um, and that is that topic is part of uh, a multi-part question here from the screen named Fig One from our Scoop basketball message board. If Temple decides to keep Aaron McKee, what is the most likely reason? Uh, a, we want his kid on the team. B, saw improvement from previous years. C, buyout is too costly. D, COVID excuse. Uh, E, would prefer to improve his staff over firing the head coach. Uh, F, I guess he's been fired. and he, He's getting fired anyway if they don't perform well in the American Athletic Conference tournament, so this question is moot. Um, what's the most likely reason that they would keep Aaron McKee? I think the most likely reason they would keep Aaron McKee is he hasn't been like a colossal – 10 he hasn't been a Patrick Ewing where he drove the program directly mm-hmm. into the ground and then mm-hmm. he gets a little bit of more leeway because of who he is and what he did for this program and you hope 
Javon what do you think? So the question is, why do they keep Aaron around? Yeah, for again, what if the if Temple decides to keep Aaron McKee, what is the most likely reason? A, they want his kid on the team, which we just talked about. B, I, I, no, no, that's all I needed to hear. Yeah. Um, money, number one, the buyout. Number two, who are you going to go get? You know, um, number three, besides all of that, is just who, who else knows how to recruit the area? Every staff in the Big Five right now has some ties to Philadelphia somewhere, somehow. Um, Aaron's probably the most successful basketball career out of all of them right now. Uh, unless you want to say Dunphy's coaching trumps Aaron's playing. Uh, I, I just don't know if there's anywhere else to go. Like, like, let's be honest. How enticing of a job is Temple right now? Yeah, I don't buy that. I don't buy it. It, it. I think that I think it matters less in basketball. Mm-hmm. Like to be honest, like I, I think like football, it's like where you're like, well, who wants to go coach at whatever random max school? I think with basketball, there's just so many case studies of like case examples of this guy took a program that was nothing, and then within three years they were a back-to-back tournament team. That like I if if this job comes open, I don't think it's going to be, oh, we're desperate and we're taking our seventh choice to no, get this I- job. I agree. I think they would get a ton of interest. I think if they decide to keep Aaron McKee, it will be because they want to give it one more shot. And maybe maybe they do beat Tulane on Sunday, and maybe they get to the finals of the of the conference tournament. And maybe you say, look, I know it wasn't the NCAA tournament, but we are seeing things head in the right direction. We want to see – we want to extend Aaron by a few years. We give him one more year. Uh, I, I don't – I don't the COVID thing. No buyout too costly. No, I mean really, if you if they decided to part ways with him after this year, you you would owe him one more year. Uh, now, have I seen his contract? No, but I, I, unless there are other clauses in it and and other things they would owe him, I think it's just the one more year. I don't. I mean, I hear what you're saying, Javon, but I don't think even Temple, um, whether you want to call them a mid major, a low high major program, I don't think you can ever live by the like well. Who else are you going to get? I think a lot of people would still be interested in the job. It's still a solid league. The facilities are still good. And if you're Temple and, and Temple and Aaron McKee did decide to part ways, uh, he's not the only guy, but yeah, I know he just got extended, but like, yeah, you go after, maybe you're not getting Pat Kelsey. Maybe he gets another Dame job, but like, why not take a shot at, at a speedy Clax and speedy you played here, you played for the Sixers. Like there are guys out there and then it's, you know, a gamble on like, are they good? Do you go with a young proven head coach, like a guy like Speedy from a, from a you know low major program, CAA, or do you get a guy that you think is one of the better assistants? And then maybe you find yourself in the football pattern of you, you bring in a younger guy. He does well for a few years, then he leaves and goes on. Maybe you, you get into that groove, but I don't think it would be because, well, who else are we going to get? I hope I, I would hope that any athletic department doesn't get into that pattern, but I think if they keep them, it's just because they see enough and they're intrigued enough by the end of the season to think, okay, certainly not what we were asking for, but it's enough to try to get us one more year. I'll just say this. If you, if they win on this weekend and they get the number three seed in the conference tournament, if rewind the clock six months ago, you had said like, Hey, uh, Temple is going to get the number three. They're going to be the number three team in the conference, and then they're going to fire Aaron McKee. You would think that was crazy. Yeah, like, I'm not like I'm honestly not advocating one way or the other. Like I get I get the logic on both sides, but like regardless of all the way they got there, they have a chance of being the number three seed. I just find it hard to believe that, like in my mind's mind, that like 
they're going to finish their if they finish their in the conference that they would make a move. I think they would view that as enough progress. What sucks if you're a Temple fan is you literally thought this last year. You're like, okay, well they figured yeah. things out. This is the year they kind of project like they buoy themselves up or they take that leap and they got punted another year. But I don't. I just can't see it happening. Yeah. If if that happens, if they lose this weekend and they finish as like the fifth and sixth seed and then they lose in the first the, the second round of the tournament and you're like crap like they finished 17 or 16 and 15 or 17 and 16 whatever it is then like yeah i could see it but we'll find out yeah last bail basketball mailbag question here the screen name from the basketball message board is p fure my any news on a 2024 recruiting targets besides myers at newman Goretti? i haven't seen much on any players we are high on thanks for taking my question We're talking about kafik I'm sure that they're, you know, recruiting guys in the 2024 class, but I think it's going to be portal heavy, especially if Aaron is coming back next year. I think we talked about this last week. I think if, if Zion Stanford plays next year, he's a role player. Yes. They'll continue to recruit 2024s, but they're, they're going to recruit the portal heavier. They have to get older. They have to stay, you know, if, if you bring back Damian Dunn, great. If you don't bring back Damian Dunn, you really have to hit the portal. I'm sure they're looking at some 2024s, but other than Javon's got to dip out. Bye, Javon. We love you. Um, I I don't know. There aren't any high priority names in that 2024 class that would that would jump out to me more than you know. I would I would be more inclined to say to you, keep an eye on the portal. It's going to be more yeah. names out of the portal. Yeah, I think that's that's not necessarily even like a 2024 specific scenario where you're yeah. like, okay, which well, is like the roster composition. I think that just like today's college basketball now, if you're a team like Temple, yeah, like if there's a guy like Zion Stanford or Kafik Myers or Heisier Miller that was in your backyard and you recruited them and you liked them, you brought them in, great. But I think for the most part, it's going to be like one high school kid, rest of them are transfers because – I, that's just one like people are transferring more than they ever have right the one-time transfer waiver and nil and all this makes it more likely than ever that a guy will not be here for his full four years yeah. um so like that just kind of is what it is and it's not a temple specific thing i think you're seeing it everywhere i think that also increases the pressure for coaches to like win now because there's less of an excuse like there's no al golden scenario where it's like well look you really can't judge this guy for the first like three years because there was just nothing here it's more like no, like you might get like a year of leeway, but eventually you need to you need to win. So I think I would think that it's probably gonna be whether it's Kafik Myers or another 2024 that'll kind of work its way out, a Ty Bevins. Um I think you'll get like a guy like that and then two or three yeah. transfers. And but the, the thing that stinks from a te- from a fan perspective is those transfers don't happen until April, May, yeah, things like that. So you're kind of like left in limbo of yeah, let's say the season's over a week from now. And yeah, you have Zion Stanford coming in and you're probably a little down in the dumps because you're like, where is the obvious like improvement here? Is this just going to be the same team plus Zion Stanford? And in the end, it'll be, there's going to be like one or two guys probably added in the next six to 12 weeks that maybe aren't on people's radars right now. So yeah, Ty if- Evans is an interesting name. We were talking about him the other day. He's a 2024 kid. It's a point guard down in Maryland. And Rivals has him 108th nationally in the class right now. And you look at his offers, it's it's Charleston, which is a really good year. Talked about um, you know, the year of the year that they're having. It's George Mason, Georgetown, UMBC, NJIT, uh, Temple's in the mix there. His recruitment 
for a guy that's rated that highly by rivals, still in, in terms of offers, doesn't really, really taken off. But 6'5", 185, 185 pounds can do a lot. That That's another name to keep an eye on, but I agree. it's Yeah, I, and I don't know if they're an either-or situation. I yeah. can see them taking both because, like, I think Bevins has the size to play off the ball. So, like, yeah. you, I could see that happening. Mm-hmm. That'd be a big – I mean, even, even if it's just on paper, like the recruiting services like them more than – like him more than uh, – other coaches might right now, but that could very easily change with like an A, another AAU season. So yeah, uh, let's talk some spring football to close things out this week. As I mentioned at the outset of the show, uh, got to do a bunch of interviews this week. Again, we're not really down at the building. Temple's protocol has been that they're making everybody available on Zoom. Stan Drayton will talk once a week, and then um, then a handful of players uh, they're going to be on spring break uh, this coming week. So they practice Tuesday, they practice Thursday, they're off until. The week after next, so we talked to Stan Drayton, EJ Warner, and Demeric Morris earlier in the week, and then mentioned Antoine Smith, uh, Lance Nate Ture, uh, and then Jordan McGee. Um, again, we, we'll have coverage on the site. We've got stories up about Antoine Smith, uh, about EJ. Uh, you'll always be able to hear the audio from those Zoom sessions, some excerpts from those conversations. Uh, we'll have a story on uh, on Lance Nate Ture this weekend, Jordan McGee. Um, Antoine Smith, always animated, like I said, but a, a good and respected defensive line coach. And he's you get a recently promoted, a recently promoted yes. coach, too. So yeah. Assistant head coach, assistant head coach. And uh, yeah, ironically enough, like last year, he, he came from Colorado State where they led their conference in sacks. And he, you know, Steve Adazio isn't always I mean, he hey, look, he won. He won Temple's first bowl game since 1979. Um, some people remember him fondly, some people don't, but Steve said, Hey, you'll, you'll like Temple. It's a special place. And he talks about Antoine talks about how Steve talked up Temple, but Hey, you got, you know, the Temple leading the American in sacks last year was obviously a collective effort. Not all of it came from the D line, you know, uh, Leighton Jordan is a, a, an outside linebacker and edge rusher, but much better pass rush, much better defensive coordinator, much better scheme. And, and so we got to talk to him and he, you know, he, super optimistic and which is not not anything new for him but yeah at the end of we'll play a couple clips here at the end of the conversation on zoom you know completely unprompted uh he kind of you know put himself and the team in a little bit of a box here and he said get ready to watch something special and we'll play this clip for you really quick and this tells you how highly he thinks of the defense right now get ready to watch something special because uh our defense has not played to the level we could play to. It has not. We have not played to the level we could play to in this year. We're going to bring you something different. All right. So not a surprise. Antoine Smith really jacked up about the defense. But earlier in the conversation, he did get into a lot of football, a lot of specifics. Talked about why he thinks they'll be better. You know, whether it was, you know, talking about maybe just you know, adding some depth, adding some talent, whether that's a guy like Alan Hay, the Miami transfer, talked about how Demeric Morris, he thinks he's taken some steps forward, how he could be, you know, uh, a, a next guy. Um, I did ask him about Zamar Grove. He had some some good insight on Zamar Grove. He talked about him, you know, I've been hearing just a, a bunch about how much they like him. Again, he's young, he's raw. He redshirted this past season as a, as a freshman. Now he's a redshirt freshman. And Antoine went on to tell me that he may have the highest ceiling in the program. A uh, kid from Irvington High School up in North Jersey. And then Johnny Zwizlak from our staff was asking him about, and I thought this was was interesting, talked about how for as well as 
collectively the defense played in terms of getting to the quarterback, leading the conference to sacks. They did not defend the run well. And he said, yeah, we didn't. That's been an area of concern, an area that we're looking at. But to me, it wasn't so much about point of attack stuff. It was about really getting gashed in space. And I think you know, if, you, if you watch Temple last year, the, especially the UCF game comes to mind where there were just so many times where you're like, yep, their guy is better than Temple's. And that he talked about that being a point of emphasis and how now he feels a lot more optimistic there uh, and thinks that they added better players. The safeties, we can always, I, I probably assume he's talking about Kamara Wilcox and Taiwan Francis. And uh, here's that clip there where he's talking about how he feels they've added some players that will address that need in their defense. If you watch the game at the point of attack, the issue was athleticism and space-making plays. That was the bigger issue in our rushing game. It wasn't the holes were wide open and people were running forever. It was that when we got isolated in the open field tackles, it could have went for eight yards where it went for 55 yards. Okay. Um, and that's an area that uh, we are really working on. We've done that with recruiting. We got some, we got a great linebacking core here. We got two safeties we brought in that are, that are ballers. And we will not have those explosives this year. Uh, we have really concentrated on red zone defense. Red zone defense, okay? So red zone defense is going to be uh, huge for us. And rush yards is going to be huge for us. Um, we we want to finish number one in the country in TFLs, but we also want to finish number one in the country in rush defense. And 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 we're going to finish pretty high. Kyle, what did you what did you make of that? Again, we, we like, he's an enjoyable guy to talk to, but then when he gets in the weeds and talks about the actual X's and O's of football, I, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting point. Not that it was anything like that's not super obvious, but I, he seems very high on their safeties and feels like they can make a, a big difference there. I also talked about the linebackers too, about Jordan McGee, sure. um, you know, about Yvonne, uh, Yvandy Rigby, but seems to be excited and more confident in that aspect of the defense as opposed to where they were last year. Yeah. I mean, I think the linebackers, even, even with the loss of Kobe Wilson is probably the strength of the defense uh, as of right now, they can obviously change in the next couple of months. But I think um, what seems out to me is that he's very, uh, hyperbolic when he talks about, oh, yeah. we want to lead the nation in uh, tackles for loss, and we want to lead the nation in rushing defense. I'm like, yeah. well, that I'm just going to assume it's never happened. Mm -hmm. um, last year, the closest you got was Clemson was sixth in tackles for loss and like 12th or 15th in rushing defense. So if all of a sudden you can pull that off, then you if you can, if you can tell me right now that Temple is going to have number one rushing defense and lead the uh, nation in tackles for loss, then you should probably clear your New Year's Day because yeah, they're going to yeah, be so like the Sugar Bowl. Very, very um, historically good defense. And yeah, some guys are probably parlaying that into some new jobs. I think I kind of go back to well, yeah, I think that's that's actually kind of my next point is I think one of the things that helps Temple was like, yeah, losing Jules Montanar hurt from a recruiting standpoint. Um, it seems like, you know, they they added a pretty good uh, replacement, Dominique Bowman. But for the most part, their coaching staff kind of stayed in place. And I think especially when it comes to, like, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, that, that jump you can make from year one to year two is pretty significant. Like, it's, it's another year. This They're not spending all spring just teaching terminology. In theory, they it's the same system. They're getting better. They're getting better. But I think you could make a jump there. I think also, I, I go back to a quote that Stan had in like December during the early signing period. And he said like, hey, like uh, he didn't say the outside of Varner part. He didn't mention them. But like outside of Varner, like they didn't lose anybody that was like 
Oh, crap. They lost that guy. Like, yeah, Kobe Wilson was a rotational back who, like, needed more playing time. But, like, they didn't have some mass exodus, like, the, like, the years before that where you're like, oh, crap. Like, they, like Leighton Jordan stayed. Jalen McMurray stayed. E- EJ Warner stayed. So, like, I feel like there is the potential, especially on defense, for there to be, like, that next step taken. Um, I don't think anything he saw in the last week with up two days with no pads on and them playing in basketball shorts uh, – should have convinced him one way or the other. So if anything, you you can kind of, if you're an optimist, you can say, well, Antoine Smith has thought this for the entire offseason then because I doubt he was down on the team and then saw Zamar Grove get a non-tackle, like you can't touch EJ Sack, and then said, this is it. So yeah, he's a good quote. Um, hmm. But I mean, at the end, he even said himself with uh, Demeric Moore or with Zamar Grove, he said, like, that'll get you a donut and a cup of coffee. Like if you don't fulfill on it, yeah, Same applies to the 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 promises you just made, and yeah. like you can say all these things and be boisterous, but if you go up and you're like, "Oh crap, we're 110th in rushing defense," and people gashed us, then that'll get you a donut and a cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, couple I of... think we've buried the lead a little bit with spring football, at least from an Alscoop perspective. Well, I was going to say you talk about the the coaching additions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so to to send you guys off here again, if you are not subscribed to Alscoop.com, you should subscribe because. Uh, Stan Drayton has added two key pieces to his staff, his chief of his new chief of staff and his new running backs coach that has not been reported anywhere else yet. Kyle broke those stories. So uh, if you have not subscribed, you should do so now. Uh, yeah. You know what? Let's, I'm not even going to give you the names. You get nothing for free. Go to alscoop.com. Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Go to alscoop.com, subscribe. Uh, you'll, you'll learn about the new uh, running backs coach, the new chief of staff, uh, both interesting Interesting names, uh, one that could really make an impact on the recruiting front. One is a bit of a familiar name, but again, you haven't subscribed. Now's a great time, ton of content this week. Hootsalot did see your mailbag question right before we started the pod. He did talk about, uh, he asked us about, are uh, curious about your thoughts on Aaron McKee's future. We did discuss that earlier, but wanted to acknowledge your question. Appreciate you logging in. Appreciate you throwing us a question. Big thanks to John Baum. Once again, for talking to us this week, uh, great addition to the podcast. Wish him the best of luck. He's a, just an incredible human being. Wish him uh, the best of luck in his next retirement. Hopefully we'll see him around. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. 